Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Now I trust this podcast finds you happy, healthy, maybe just a little bit unsettled. Well, if you're not already, I guarantee you will be by the end of this hour. As I just mentioned, I am Derek Hayes, and this is Monsters Among Us, a call-in show about monsters mystery and mayhem and unlike those other shows we don't waste precious time with banter and small talk we get right into the action with calls like mike's out of canada hey derek hope all is well this is mike again from montreal i know you're a big fan of on the spot encounter calls and always hope for one to come in this is about as close as i can get for you so I live in Quebec, in Montreal, near one of the airports across the river on the South Shore. So with that said, I mean, I'm pretty used to what the air traffic looks like at night, what to expect um, from all types and sizes of, of different aircraft and helicopter too. So tonight, it's a, I don't know, a partially cloudy night. I can still see the moon. The sky is relatively clear, but it's gray around the horizon. Looking north out towards the city, I can see the cityscape from here. I don't know, somewhere out over the river, as I was looking out towards the city, I saw a glowing orb, basically. The orb is only in the air for a couple of seconds. I just kind of noticed it out of my periphery as I looked up from my phone. This thing shot across the sky, maybe in my view, a few inches. Now, it wasn't a straight path either. It kind of had a bit of an arc to it slightly upward, and then it came back down towards the horizon a little bit until it literally just faded out. I mean, I don't know. I've been sitting here trying to figure out what it was, but I can't quite figure it out. Um, And I know Montreal in particular has a little bit of history with strange things in the sky. So I thought you'd like to hear something very recent, I guess, from the skies up here in Quebec. Thanks again for the podcast, Derek. I hope you guys are doing well, and I hope you're enjoying your break. Have a good one. Keep it spooky. Thanks, Mike. Now, although we receive our fair share of Canadian UFO entries here on the program. One doesn't typically associate the Great White North with other hot spots around the planet. But I gotta say, it's most likely a mistake. Because not only is Canada one of the countries with the most UFO sightings, they come in third behind the US and the UK, according to a report I found published by MUFON last year. No, not only that, the frequency at which these anomalies are spotted up there that's increasing. And not only that, but Montreal, Quebec, the location of Mike's encounter, seems to be their hotspot. 
That strange light in the sky is one of 1,100 UFO sightings in Canada last year. According to the annual survey released by Ufology Research of Manitoba, there are at least three such sightings in the country every day. UFO reports are still a thing. People are reporting them in greater and greater numbers every year. Montreal is Canada's UFO capital, with 74 sightings reported last year, followed by Toronto, then Vancouver. It's not that these cities are on an extraterrestrial highway, it's a matter of population, says the report's author. If a tree's falling in the forest, you need somebody to hear it, so if there's a UFO in the sky, the more people around to see it, the more reports you get. Now that clip courtesy of CTV. And it certainly makes sense. And I suppose that philosophy could be applied to other realms of the paranormal as well. It's hard to witness something if there's no one there to see it. Now, of course, none of these revelations do much to lessen the burden Mike now carries. That lifetime sentence of wondering, what did he see? And hoping for an answer. Well, I can only say good luck to you, Mike, on that. But thank you for sharing your experience. Now, if you have an answer for Mike, or simply have a true paranormal tale to tell of your own, just call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Now, next up, we field a doppelganger story from Kathy in the state of Virginia. Uh, hello, Derek. My name is Kathy. I live in Virginia. And I really wanted to share a story with you of something that happened to me just three days ago. It was very odd. I had been into a store, and when I came out of the store, I approached what I thought was my vehicle, and it wouldn't unlock, and the key wouldn't work. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm locked out. Maybe the battery on my key fob is dead or something. So anyway, I just sat down on the curb for a second, just to kind of like gather myself because I felt a little bit panicked. And all of a sudden, my husband, who was supposed to be working at our local racetrack, he does that for the fire department, he pulled up and I didn't understand how he could have been there. But I approached, you know, his truck and I spoke to him and, you know, I saw his clothing, his hat, his truck, the interior of his truck. And I spoke to him and I said, I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm just locked out. I'm going to call a locksmith. And he said, well, no, I, I can go home and get the spare key. And I was like, well, okay, I'll, I'll just, you know, browse around the shopping center till you get back. That's the problem. So he pulled off. And shortly thereafter, just within moments, a woman came from the shopping center. She said, ma'am, this is my car. And I said, I- I'm so sorry. It was identical to my vehicle. I mean, I drive a Honda Accord. They're, they're everywhere. I said, ma'am, I am so sorry. I was not trying to break in. And she understood. And I hit the lock button on my car. And sure enough, I heard it beep. It was like, you know, a row or two over. So that problem solved. So I wasn't crazy for that because the vehicles were identical. So I get back into my vehicle and I picked up my phone And before I could even call my husband, the phone rang, and it was my husband. And I said, hey, you know, don't worry about getting the key. I I had the wrong vehicle. I'm sorry. It was my stupidity. Just, you know, don't worry about it. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, 
you were just here. I mean, I thought I was locked out. He said, honey, I've been at the racetrack all day. And he was at the racetrack. I could hear the race cars going in the background. He said, I haven't been anywhere near you since early this morning. I have no idea what you're talking about. And I said, you were just here. He said, no, no, I wasn't. And it was just extremely odd because I saw him. I mean, every detail. I mean, I've been with my husband for over 10 years. There's no way I was mistaken. So I don't know. Was I hallucinating? Did I go into some alternate reality? Did my mind just see what it wanted to see? I have not the slightest idea how that happened. I do have some health issues. This is not a sob story, but I did contact my doctor and explain to him, and he said, well, let's come in and get some lab work done to make sure you're not in some sort of a physical crisis. And I did that, and sure enough, I'm not in any sort of a physical crisis. I said, could any of the medications that I take have caused this to happen? And he said, I don't think so. I don't know. No one knows what has happened, but my husband was not there, but I did see him. Wondering if anyone else has had a similar experience or what an explanation could be. I am not opposed to the thought of an, you know, going into a different dimension. I do believe that things like that are kind of possible. But anyway, that's my story. And I do love the podcast very much. I've been listening for several years now. So anyway, thanks for the podcast and I hope you have a great day and I hope to hear back from you. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you, Kathy. Now it's been my experience that most doppelganger stories are somehow nefarious in nature. Not necessarily evil, but certainly not benign either. Now this story, however, seems to test those boundaries. At the very least, Kathy's husband's doppelganger left her feeling more calm and less stressed. Not the typical response when someone encounters one of these strange doubles. Well, outside of that, like I've said a million times, we're left with more questions than answers. But hopefully that'll change soon. At least for your sake, Kathy. Thank you again for the interesting albeit unsettling account. Now this next entry takes us back to Canada, where Jessica is waiting with an entry. Hi, Derek. My name is Jessica. I'm calling from Chelsea, Quebec, Canada. I had been wanting to call in to tell someone else's story, but had wanted permission. So... I remember as a child having a really close connection with my aunt, my uncle's wife, and we shared this interest in paranormal, spiritual things, and we talked a lot about it. And she used to have me over at her house for sleepovers. And I remember so vividly this story she told me about one of her experiences. Last year, she died during COVID. And I had been looking through my messages at our correspondence, and I remember that she had given me permission to tell this story on her behalf. So I'm calling to tell it. So what I remember is that she told me she used to spend a lot of time on her own in the house uh, that I used to visit. 
And it wasn't a very old house, probably like mm, 1940s, 1950s. Uh, it was built maybe even a little bit later. And she used to spend a lot of time alone because her husband, my uncle, would travel for work. And she'd always get really spooked out while she was alone. She, she didn't like being alone in the house and, and would have like, you know, weird experiences and freak herself out. And what I remember from one of her stories was that she was locking up for the day. She had just like come in from, I don't think it was nighttime, but she had come in from outside and had closed the door and locked it and uh, gone upstairs to the bedroom. And um, she started to feel weird. And so she came. The way that their house is, is that the living room is open concept with the ceiling, you know, being all the way up to the top of the house and then like a, a stair, an open staircase to the second floor. And once you're on the second floor, you can look out into the living room, uh, into this big space. So she went to the top of the stairs and looked down and she saw a series of black cats walking across her living room, up the stairs from the landing, in a row, all walking together in a row, in a straight line, and did like a circle of the house. So they went up, hard to explain her house, but went up into the living room, down around the other side of the house, and then out the door. So anyways, I found this little message that she wrote. She said, I can't remember it all, but you can tell this part of the story for me. The only thing I remember is that the lead cat saw me and started down the stairs where all the cats followed immediately in a straight line. Walked down the hall and outside through the front door, which was ajar. So strange. <laughs> so I guess there was a cat in the front that was leading. And the thing we talked about after that was just how she had always locked the door. So she didn't even know how the door had been open. And, and even if she hadn't locked it, it would have been, you know, shut <laughs> completely and not ajar. So that's the story. Very odd. I always thought about that in all of my uh, years of listening to spooky stories and thought it was one of the creepiest ones. have no explanation for it, but yeah. Thanks for the podcast, and thank you for giving everybody a place to put their experiences down, and uh, have a great night. Bye. Thank you, Jessica. That's not your typical ABC call. And there's certainly something perplexing about this story. Are we talking about some sort of ghostly apparition? Were these cats spectral? The spirits of animals deceased long ago? Or could they have just been neighborhood cats out on patrol and their strange alignment made the encounter seem even stranger than it should have been? But if that is the case, like Jessica said, how did they get the door open? Now, there's so many different angles we could take here, but above all that, I just want to take a moment to thank Jessica for preserving her aunt's experience. We lose so many stories and accounts with each and every passing. It's nice to have a few of those stories preserved from time to time. And of course, we're sorry for your loss, Jessica. But thank you for calling in. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by The Outbreak. We're excited to partner with The Outbreak app to host a thrilling virtual race that is also a zombie-themed game that we can play together. 
our 30-day race officially kicks off tomorrow, April 15th. So don't miss your chance to challenge me, Sarah, and Addie, aka Team MAU, in the zombie apocalypse. Sign up now. In the outbreak, zombies have taken over and the world needs heroes. Use your real-world steps to battle and run from zombies during an interactive adventure in a virtual, apocalyptic wasteland. The team that makes it to the safe house at the end of the race first will win free tickets to a future race and a signed MAU poster for each player. And every player who participates and completes the challenge will receive a real-life medal from the outbreak. The Outbreak easily pairs with your Fitbit, Apple Watch, and other smart wearables, and is available on both Apple and Google App Stores. Visit the link in the show notes to sign up using coupon code MONSTER to save 15% off your race. Then, once you're signed up, enter our unique invite code found in the show notes to join our special Monsters Among Us race before it begins tomorrow, April 15th. Face the challenge alone or invite friends to join your team. Either way, we'll see you tomorrow in the Outbreak's virtual zombie apocalypse world. Best of luck, everyone. Now, I recently saw someone ask the age-old question, which is creepier, a basement or an attic? Well, if you chose attic, you're in good company. Because Sarah in Iowa is right there with you. Hi, Derek. My name is Sarah. I'm calling from Iowa. The story takes place about 2013 when I was living in Des Moines. I had decided to move back to the state and I needed a place to live. And a good friend of mine owned a pretty old house and had a lot of rooms in it because she no longer was living with her husband there. So she offered me the attic space, which was on the third story of this house in downtown Des Moines, kind of a historic area in the Drake neighborhood. So I agreed to it, knowing it didn't have any air conditioning or heat, but I was up for the challenge. When I moved in, I joked that uh, I asked her, so is the place haunted? And she kind of giggled and never really answered my question at the time. Uh, So I moved in, took all my stuff, got it upstairs. The attic space itself was pretty low ceiling. So my bed was really just a mattress on the floor, no box spring, just an old mattress. Anyway, so I move in and... After a week or two, we're hanging out and drinking some wine, and she has a couple drinks that night and ends up telling me that, yes, she does believe her house is haunted. I kind of prod her for some more information, being that I kind of grew up interested in the paranormal and things like that, never really having an experience myself quite yet at this point. And she says that she thinks um, there's a couple of old men, and she was very serious when she said, I don't want them here, but they are here. However, it seems that when people are living here with me, they tend to not be as active. And I'm going to leave it at that. So, you know, I took it for face value at the time. Uh, A few weeks later, I am upstairs and I am sleeping. I had a job at the time that required me to be at work around 8 a.m. And I used to set my phone alarm. And this was, you know, 10 years ago almost. And so we did have phone alarms that weren't as high tech as they are now. And my phone alarm, if I didn't have it on um, the ringer, it turned up, it would just vibrate to wake me up in the morning. Well, one morning, unbeknownst to me, my alarm had been going off for like 10 minutes and I was going to be late for work. And I vividly remember hearing somebody say in my ear, you have to get up, you have to go. And me thinking it was her. 
and, and I just, in my sleep, was very confused by the whole situation. You know, like, why is she in my room? Like, what's going on? And, and then again, I heard this voice. You have to get up. You have to go. And I felt somebody sit on the bed because my arms were kind of above my head um, with my elbows out. And I felt my elbows sink as if somebody sat on the bed. And I thought, wow, that's even stranger because now she's up here. She's sitting. So I kind of came to and look over and there's absolutely nobody there. And I realized quickly my phone is buzzing and I pick it up and I am late to work. So I don't even think I get up, I get my hair done and I rush off to work. Two weeks later, same thing happens. I'm sleeping. I set my alarm. I forget to put the ringer on. However, this time I hear this, 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 this big like pop underneath the bed, like somebody had lifted it up and set it back down because my ear was pressed to the pillow. And once again, I hear you're going to be late. You have to go. You have to get up. And once again, I wake right up. I am late to work and I rush out the door. And at this point, I'm just like, am I dreaming this? What's going on? It's not too long thereafter where uh, I just decided I had a friendly ghost of some sort, somebody who was looking out for me, you know, helping me get to work on time, not too worried about the ghost if that's the case. However, this last encounter, one of the last that I can recall, I was asleep on my bed and uh, there was a window directly in front of me and then there was a window at my feet about 15 feet away at the other side of the attic. And I just happened to wake up for some unknown reason. I I turned and I I looked at that other window towards my feet, which is also where the stairs come up to the entryway of my room. And as I'm looking out this window, which has curtains over it and has the possibility for traffic to be coming head on um, with headlights, this dark shadow figure, all I can describe it as is like the torso of a person just slowly ascends the staircase. So I can see from my vantage point, basically the floor, um, the first like four stairs down until it disappears. And this black shadow figure just comes up and it's silhouetted against the wall and it moves right before it would be in front of the window. And I'm just trying to process like, what am I seeing? And it's so strange because in my head, I just keep telling myself, don't blink, don't blink, what the heck is this? Just don't blink, what is this? And I, it's still there, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to look away and look back. And so I move my eyes just slightly to the right to the window to look out the window, and when I look back, it's just gone. And immediately, I just knew I needed to close my eyes and go back to bed. I was not happy with the feeling I was getting. I was overcome with fear, but also at the same time trying to balance rationally what I just saw. Um, so that was the creepiest part of the whole experience living there. Now, the woman who does live there or did said that she had experience going into the basement and having something come up behind her and, and brush her hair behind her ear and say, there she is. So needless to say, I didn't spend much time doing laundry in that basement. There's a few other things, a lot of footsteps and doors opening here and there. Uh, but I attributed that to the rather overweight cats that she also had. Anyway, Derek, I hope you can use this. I really appreciate what you do, and I listen to your podcast every time I'm on my commute, and I can't wait for the next episode. So thanks for supporting us. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Sarah. Now, the house you described reminds me of a house I lived in in college. Man, that place was a dump. It was a bigger house, lots of bedrooms, tiny kitchen. And one day... While we were bored, we broke into the attic. There were no ghosts up there, but it certainly was creepy. There was a bed lying on the floor that hadn't been touched in years. And weirdly enough, 
I found a closet full of bowling balls under the stairs. But again, no ghosts, unfortunately. But I tell you what, we do thank you, Sarah, for sharing the experience that you had. If you are being haunted, at the very least, the ghost can be helpful. Thanks again for the time. Now, real quick, guys, let me tell you about the Monsters Among Us merchandise store. We have shirts, hats, patches, pins, bags, totes, posters, and so much more. Visit MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com forward slash shop to pick up your piece today. Any big thanks to everyone that's out there wrapping us right now. Now, I know looking for UFOs can be a creepy experience, but that feeling is likely multiplied when the UFO starts searching back. Joseph from Michigan. Welcome to the program. Hi, Derek. My name is Joseph from Hatfield, Pennsylvania. The story I have takes place probably about a month ago. My fiance and I were going for a walk outside. It was evening, so it was probably, it was just about getting dark. So I guess it was around 8, 8.30 at night. We looked up and saw something in the sky, not a UFO, but... We're really not sure if it was some sort of weather phenomenon, but basically what we witnessed was it looked like a helicopter searchlight, but it wasn't going vertical towards the ground. It was horizontal, and it basically moved kind of diagonally. It never went straight to the ground. It was always horizontal or kind of diagonal, and then that slowly faded out. And the area where the searchlight-looking light was turned probably like a really light blue, kind of in a circle around the area where we noticed the light. Now, the sky around it was that kind of evening sky. It was kind of blackish, purplish. So the light blue circle where we saw the light was really standing out. And we have no idea what could have caused that. We heard no noise. There was no uh, rain or any storm clouds or anything in the forecast we checked. And it kind of bewildered us because we, we weren't sure what we were seeing. There was, Like I said, there was no sound. It was just this weird horizontal search-looking light that faded out into a baby bluish kind of sky, even though the sky around it was an evening sky. I have another story that took place when I lived in Baltimore, Maryland. I moved into an apartment. It was a two-story house. I could live upstairs or downstairs in the apartment. The downstairs was actually occupied by some, basically, Wiccans. They did a lot of Reiki and stuff like that, and they were really nice. Nothing really weird happened with them. Uh, but when we moved in, they told us there was a spirit that watched over the house. She used to be the gardener of the house. She said that you would feel a presence in the stairwell which we actually did a few times as we were walking up the steps to our apartment door. So long story short, the first night I was there, I was there by myself. My girlfriend at the time was at work and I started hearing a kind of a ticking noise. The two dogs that we had were laying on the ground and they were kind of, they started whining and acting up, but they had their, their whole body was as flat as it could be looking under the crack of the front door. So I get up after hearing this ticking noise and I notice that the chain lock for the door 
is kind of sitting there swinging like a pendulum back and forth. The ticking noise was the metal latch hitting against the door frame. And I know I locked it. Like I said, it was our first night there. I made sure you know the door was locked and secured before settling in for the night. And it was just the weirdest thing. I never locked the chain lock after that. The landlord of the house who initially told us about the spirit said, oh yeah, maybe he just doesn't like locked doors or, you know, we're not sure. But that, you know, it kind of freaked me out. So I never did it again, but never had an issue with it again. Love the podcast there. Been listening for quite a while now. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Thanks, Joseph. No, I'm not an aviation expert by any means, but this sort of sounds like landing lights on a plane. As I've discussed on past episodes, most planes have two headlight-like lights in the front of the craft, primarily used in the landing process. The horizontal orientation of the lights Joseph reported almost makes me wonder if something like this is responsible. Of course, as I always allude to, I was not there, so this is merely a suggestion. Who knows what it was, but we do thank Joseph for sharing that entry. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Sometimes people don't realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and digestive issues can be indicators of stress. Stress shows up in all sorts of ways. I know personally I can often feel as if I'm being pulled in many directions at once. And I know I'm not alone. Sometimes you just need a reminder to pause, take a break, and take care of yourself. And maybe try a little online therapy. Therapy gave me the tools I needed to manage stress in a healthier way. And I think it could do the same for you. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than any in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And Monsters Among Us listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Monsters Among Us. As you know, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to more of that creepy material. Okay, who's up for some ghostly activity? This next one was submitted by Kathleen in the Lone Star State of Texas. Hello. My name is Kathleen, and I'm calling from San Antonio, Texas. What I'm about to tell you happened well over 20 years ago when I was preparing to get married. It was the spring of 1992 in central New Jersey, and I had just moved back into my folks' house and was sharing a room with my then 14-year-old sister. It was a time of high energy. I was reunited with the love of my life, who I met when I was still in high school. And it was a rocky relationship, but we had finally gotten to a place where we were ready and very much in love and both gainfully employed and looking forward to the future. But it was a very old house in a very old town that I was living in. And there were a few things that 
mysterious things that had happened in that house, which was built in the early 1930s, reported to me by my younger brother and sister, but I put those items off as just active imaginations of preteens in the middle of the spring and summer. Well, as we were preparing for my wedding, I bought an antique wedding dress at a flea market. And I remember that in the spring of 1992, again feeling very happy about our future and ready for anything, we would take a lot of day trips. And at this flea market, I found this wedding dress that looked to be mm, from the late 60s, early 70s. And it was just my style. And my then fiance purchased it for me as a wedding gift. Well, after seeing the seamstress and making plans to have it altered for me, I did have it hanging, displayed next to my bed in the attic bedroom I shared with my sister. And on one particular evening, as the summer came upon us and our wedding date in August was soon to arrive, I remember falling asleep as I normally did in the single bed uh, next to my sisters in that attic space with no worry about the future at all. But this was a night like no other. To this day, I still wonder what happened. But I know it was very unnatural and it was very real. Not long after I fell asleep, I was awakened by the sound of soft, menacing laughter. And it was coming from behind the crawl space or the small closet next to my bed and behind where I had the wedding dress hung on a hanger. And I remember laying there thinking, I must be asleep, but it didn't stop. And even though I closed my eyes and told myself, mm, you're just lucid dreaming, try to go back to sleep, it would stop and start again. Finally, I just made myself sit up and listen and there was no sound and I convinced myself that I was in fact dreaming wedding nerves that's all and I laid back down and closed my eyes and as I was about to just fall into a nice deep sleep I heard it again it was mocking it was soft but menacing and I sat bolt upright and I was determined I was not going to lay back down until I solved it. What was this? But then, as I'm sitting there, listening intently, hearing nothing, except the sound of my sister snoring lightly to my left, I hear something downstairs in the kitchen area, just below the stairwell landing. And it sounds like movement. Now, I was used to my father not sleeping very well, and getting up in the middle of the night for water or a snack. But there was something about the footfalls, the footsteps. There was something about the movement that was foreign. And I made myself get out of bed and, as quietly as I could, walk past my sister's bed toward the very top of the stairwell landing. And I, as quietly as I could, sat down and just resigned myself to staying awake and listening as intently as I could to whatever it was I was now hearing in the kitchen below us. Everything got very quiet, very still, unnaturally so. And I felt this heaviness, but I was determined. 
I was too scared to get back into bed and try to sleep at this point. So there was nothing for it. I was going to sit there and wait. In those moments, I heard what I was sure was the sound of our built-in wall oven in this very old house, this very squeaky oven door that had a high-pitched squeak whenever opened. I heard it slowly opening and in such a way that I was certain I was meant to hear it for as long as it could be made possible (laughs) to be heard. And after a pause, an incredible slam as it was slammed shut. Every hair on my body stood up straight. I decided, that's it. I'm getting in bed. I'm putting the covers over my head and I'm done with this. Dawn will be here soon and it'll be a new day. I'm done. And that's exactly what I did. I just walked past my sister's bed, got in under the covers, and I don't know how I did it, closed my eyes and actually went to sleep. When I awoke the next day, I saw my sister and family downstairs at the kitchen table. And my sister, again, just 14 years old, couldn't wait to tell me about this crazy dream she had. In this dream, she was inside the body of an intruder who had come into our house in the middle of the night. She couldn't see the person, but she could see through their eyes. And she knew it was an intruder because they had long arms and black gloved hands. And she related to us in a very excited manner how the intruder had walked around the downstairs portion of our house and then finally ended up in our kitchen and for no reason at all decided to very slowly open the oven door and then bam slam it shut I was speechless I just sat across the breakfast table looking at her in astonishment (laughs) I'm usually not at a loss for words but I found myself unable to speak I wasn't even sure if I could sleep upstairs in that attic again after that. I resigned myself to just continue eating breakfast, get ready, and go to work. But when I came home that day and she had come home from school, I pulled her aside and I asked her, what you told us at breakfast, was that true? And she said, yeah, it was the craziest dream I ever had. And I said to her, Christine, dear, that's exactly what I heard. And I told her the whole story. And later on, we told our folks. And we all decided that if it wasn't just a case of wedding nerves, that maybe something did happen psychically between the two of us in that attic space just a few weeks before the wedding in a very high energy time with a lot of stress and activity. That is where her call ended. I promise you I did not cut her off. Thank you, Kathleen. Now, if I didn't know any better, I'd say that that vintage wedding dress may have had some sort of attachment to it. Almost a cursed item, if you will. 
and as you might suspect, it certainly wouldn't be the first time a little history clung to just such a garment. In 1849, wealthy Anna Baker fell in love with a low-class steelworker, but her class-obsessed father, Elias, forbade the marriage and drove Anna's beloved away from their hometown of Altoona, Pennsylvania. Anna died a bitter and broken-hearted woman. Eventually, the Baker Mansion was transformed into a museum and visitors could view Anna's unused wedding dress inside a glass case in her bedroom. Often seen moving on its own side to side or shaking violently within its glass case. The mansion is also reportedly the site of other hauntings. David Baker, Anna's brother, was killed in a steamboat accident in the winter of 1852. Screams have been heard from the basement where David's body was stored until the ground thawed enough for him to be buried. That one property of Sandbox 10 on YouTube. Yet another location on my long list of places I need to visit. Thank you, Kathleen, for adding to the lore. Now don't forget, folks, you can access bonus episodes of Monsters Among Us over at Patreon for only $4 a month. There's also a higher tier called Knights with Edgar Allan Poe. Some longer material for fans of the macabre or for those that simply use the show to fall asleep. There's several hours of content over there, so be sure to check it out. And an important note for those $8 backers. I don't consistently release new Nights with Poe recordings. So pledge, download what you want, unpledge. That way, we both win. Now, speaking of winning, we're all winners this evening. Because this last entry is nothing short of nightmare fuel. The kind you just can't keep your ears off of. So here to instill a fear of the forest is Ray from the state of Missouri. Hey, this is Ray from Missouri. Thought I'd give you my first cryptid encounter. Uh, this happened back when I was about uh, 11, 12 years old, so it would have been about 1974. Uh, happened in southwest Missouri. Now, about this time of year, is August, uh, and it was a uh, hot sticky weather we grew up in a farmhouse didn't have air conditioning and it was one of those nights where it's too hot to flee so my mom and stepdad decided that we'd all get in the car and go driving around the car at least had air conditioning in it so we were out driving around and we come down this dirt road and there was this place where this dirt road there was a what they call a low water bridge where a small creek passed over the surface of the road and there was kind of a little gravel area there. People would go down there park, and us kids loved their place down there because we'd go down there. When there's real steep hills and woods and everything. We'd, we'd go down there. We'd play in the creek and climb up on the hills and everything. Anyway, but this is at, at night, of course, and it was a little bit of a curve right before we got to that gravel lot. Well, as we come around the curve, the headlights picked up something on the other side of the creek, and this creature was black, and it was crouching down, and it was drinking out of the water like an animal will. It had its face down by the water. And it looked up momentarily. It just looked its eyes up. And its eyes were a bright, kind of yellow-green color. And they just flashed for a second, and it looked back down to what it was doing, you know, drinking out of the creek. Now, from in the car, I was in the back seat, of course, looking through the windshield uh, over the back seat. And it looked to me from that where it was at, like maybe a panther, some sort of big black cat because of the way it was crouched down. 
And my stepdad said, well, what is that? And he blew his horn and switched to the bright lights, the high beams. Well, that caught this creature's attention. And it looked up again. And even at the distance, you know, it was probably 30, maybe 40 yards away across the creek. Even at that distance, you could see that honking the horn had angered this thing. And it lifted up out of the water and it stood up. It kept standing up and it stood up on its hind legs. Now, this is where it stopped looking like a cat to me. Uh, first off, the thing was all black. It was completely covered in fur. It had the uh, jointed legs, like you'd normally see on a dog or a goat or something, uh, which actually is, you know, just the heel. We walk on our heel and the ball of our feet. Of course, animals walk just on the ball of their feet. That backward part of the leg, that's just is our heel. Anyway, this thing was standing up, and it was the face and head was very canine, very uh, like a wolf look to it had a big ruff of fur around the head and the neck large the whole animal is very lean but the chest and shoulders and arms were very muscular you know even through the fur you could you could see the muscles moving uh, and had what looked like enormous long hands and the hands hung down to just about the knees on the creature and as it stood up its head hit some small branches on the tree behind it and they I remember seeing them move and this thing looked at us and it snarled and very white very large canine teeth and it turned and even though it snarled it didn't act like it was really that upset like it wasn't afraid of us by any means it, it, we, it there was no fear but it looked like it was just upset about being disturbed and it turned and it walked back into the trees and my stepdad had, had shut the car off and had opened the door by this time. So we could hear this thing. And as it walked back into the woods, it took off running. Now, even as a kid, I could tell the difference in the sound of something running on two legs versus something running on four. There's a totally different sound to it. Well, this thing took off running on two legs. And even from the sound, you could tell it was covering a lot of ground running on two legs. Well, it got back into the trees, up back through the tree line, and behind the tree line, there was a field of you know tall, brushy grass. And as soon as it broke through the tree line, it dropped on all fours from the sound and took off running on all fours. And it sounded like it sped up and become much faster. It was fast running on two, but it was even much faster running on four. And it ran off into the, ran off in the distance until we couldn't hear it anymore. And I remember looking at my mom and my stepdad, and they were both sitting there with a mouth hanging open. And my mom looked at my stepdad and said, did you see that? He said, yeah. He said, that was a, and before he could finish, she looked at him and said, shut up. Don't say it. He says, yeah, but that was, she said, no, I don't want to hear it. Let's go home. And basically after that, they refused to even talk about it. And if I or the, one of the other boys tried to, one of my brothers tried to bring it up, it didn't go well for us. We were not supposed to talk about this time. But that was one of the very last times we ever went down there to play. Anyway, I hope you can use this story. Thank you for your good work. And 
thank you for all you've been doing for the people out here that would like to share stories like this. And uh, like you said, keep it spooky. Well, I'm going to say it. It was a werewolf. Or as it's more commonly known in paranormal circles, Dogman. And Ray and his family aren't alone. Respectable people all across the country are seeing something terrifying. I would say that it was about seven to seven and a half feet tall. The head was large and it didn't look like a bear, it actually looked more like a wolf. It had to have been well over three times my size. The facial features tend to be more dog-like. The uh, upper body features tend to be more man-like. Eyewitnesses report seeing a menacing beast with dark hair, walking on its hind legs and standing over seven feet tall. The creature is said to kill using deadly fangs and razor-sharp claws. It has the strength to subdue animals as large as 1,200 pounds, and it emits blood-curdling howls. And the creature has human-like hands and feet. In Wisconsin, the beast is commonly referred to as the Dogman. Now that info was pulled from two different episodes of the History Channel program, Monster Quest. And you can watch both episodes for free by following the link in the show notes. Now it's not only Wisconsin that's slinging around the Dogman moniker. There are more than a few hotspots outside of the Badger State. Ohio and Michigan come to mind. In fact, I stumbled across a map assembled by the NADP, the North American Dogman Project, that gives you a whole mess of reported sightings throughout the U.S. and Canada. And as usual, I've linked to it in the show notes for tonight's show, found in the description of this posted episode, or at monstersamonguspodcast.com when you click on the show notes tab. And yes, before you ask... There were several pins in that map that fall within the confines of the Show Me State's borders. And a few more just across the border in parts of Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Kansas. The area where Ray had his experience. And as a matter of fact, after a few hours of digging, I managed to find a story out of that area. This time in nearby Beaver Lake, Arkansas. Now what makes the story you're about to hear even more relevant is the fact that the sighting took place back in 1972, just a short year or two from the date of Ray's encounter. Now before I push play here, this is a truncated version of a story featured on the YouTube channel Those Endless Mysteries, and I've linked to the video which is significantly longer than the following clip, and is much more rich in detail as well, so if this interests you, I recommend you check it out. At any rate, the following events reportedly took place in Beaver Lake, Arkansas, in October of 1972. The witness states that her and her husband and their babies, and with her brother, had left Leavenworth, Kansas, in their Volkswagen van, going on a camping trip. They were going to a recreational area in Arkansas called Beaver Lake. Her brother pitched his tent next to the van, as the rest of the family was going to sleep in the van that night. She says that it was around 3 a.m. when she heard what she thought was coyotes coming from a ridge outside of their campsite. She peered out the windows trying to see what was making the noise, but couldn't see anything there. While still hearing strange yips and howls, she laid back down in the back seat. 
Within just moments of her laying back down, there was a huge crushing bang on the van right next to her head. Her husband leapt up from a full sleep, while within just a few seconds her brother came down of his tent and jumped into the front seat. She says that they all were in a panic looking in all directions, trying to see what had hit the van. When her brother finally yelled out, saying that he saw something moving behind the van, they all turned their heads just in time to see a dark, large shadow moving about 20 feet behind the van. Now after about 20 minutes of not seeing anything else move, that her husband and brother decided to get out and inspect the van for damage, but found none. Then she said that they started hearing pounding footsteps, which seemed to be coming from the thick brush about 50 feet away from them. The guys eased back into the front seat of the van. As he stepped on the brake pedal, she says that there was a huge commotion with this loud commotion, her husband started the engine. At this moment is when they saw a hairy thing, maybe only 10 feet away and coming straight at them. Its silver-tipped hair started to glisten in the headlights. She said this creature had a gray streak going from its shoulders all the way down its back, saying that this creature was walking on two legs while having a barrel chest but skinny legs. She says it was at least seven to eight feet tall. The face wasn't ape or human-like. It was more doggish, she stated. Its ears had hair on the top of them. Now she says as far as the movements of the creature, that they seemed more human than anything else, saying that this creature's body structure was also very human-like. As it was moving away from them, she stated that this is when it let out a menacing huff and a low rumbling growl like a dog, but it seemed to be moving away fast. Again, if you have six free minutes, go listen to the full version. The link again is in the show notes. Now that's my kind of camping trip. To no one's surprise, the group packed up and hit the road, and I can't say that I blame them. Who would want to sleep outside after seeing something like that? Well, I suppose the point is, Ray and his family are not the only ones to see something they couldn't explain in that part of the country. Oh, and I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't at least mention that in July of that same year, 1972, and again very near the time of Ray's encounter, there was a series of run-ins with a strange, upright, hairy, foul-smelling beast just on the other side of the state. In the fall of 1972, Residents of the small Missouri town of Louisiana reported seeing a huge, shaggy, unidentifiable beast. It came to be known as Momo. After months of terrifying encounters, the monster disappeared from view. No further trace of Momo has ever been found. Yet for those who encountered it, they certainly saw a flesh and blood monster. We have miles upon miles of endless woods and deep, deep hollers. He could be just about anywhere in these thick woods we have around here. Of course, that clip is courtesy of Monsters and Mysteries in America. And if you like more Momo, Season 9, Episode 18 will certainly get you started. 
Now, am I saying that these three experiences are somehow connected? Not necessarily, but it is certainly worth noting the date and time of each of these encounters. And if you listen closely, several of the details mentioned in both encounters seem to oddly line up. So whatever it was, we thank you, Ray, for sending in the tale. I love me a good dogman story. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And if you're poking around the internet, be sure to follow us on social media with accounts at Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Please consider leaving us a rate and review wherever possible. Five stars and a few kind words go a long way to keep the show rolling. And finally this evening, the terrifying score you heard was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.ag Music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week. Tonight's secret story was submitted anonymously from my state of California. Hello, just calling to finally tell one of my stories. I actually had forgotten about this story until I heard an episode. Um, it was season 7, episode 18. The guy's name was Orson from Florida. It just reminded me of this story that I had actually previously forgotten, but I wanted to add on and probably won't give him any answers, but um, anyways, so to provide some context for my story, this was probably 2020, about November, December. I live and work on a wildlife area in Northern California area, specifically around Chico. And I had just gotten off of one of my 12-hour shifts at the duck hunting tech station. So I was out taking my dog for a walk about 4 or 5 o'clock. Since it was still a hunt day, I didn't want to walk on the wildlife area and disturb anyone's hunt. So we're just walking around our main compound. So my dog's off leash, just running around, sniffing everything. And I had a podcast on, potentially this podcast and thought I heard a weird noise. So I stopped what I was doing, and I took the earphone out of my ear, and I sat there and listened for a second. And to my left is a big junk pile of just metal and a bunch of other stuff, and to my right is the starting of our wildlife area. And uh, I heard a noise, and it sounded like a lamb. And I was like, wow, that's really weird. There shouldn't be any lambs around here. This is the starting of winter. Lamb season's usually about spring. 
we're the middle of rice land. There's no sheep herds around us. The only animals around us are uh, just a cow field about two miles down the road. And that's usually their summer ground. So they're not even at the field right now. So I thought that was weird. And my dog comes running from the junk pile because he was chasing rabbits. Because he looked like he had also heard this noise, which I thought was weird. And I got this really creepy feeling and we heard it again and so I turned around and just like dragged my dog out of there because I was not about to find out what that noise was because it was in like short grass so I should have been able to see something and I couldn't see anything so it was just a strange little story that I had actually forgotten about until I heard Orson's story so I thought I would call in love your show Keep doing what you're doing, that I would contribute, and have a great day. Thank you, caller. Oddly, I know that feeling. Last week, as you probably heard, we went up to the Santa Ynez area near Santa Barbara to do a little camping and to celebrate Sarah's birthday. Happy birthday, babe. Now, while there, I had hoped to run into a patch of morel mushrooms or one of the other delicious varieties that grow in that area. So we did a little exploring. And we managed to find an offshoot trail that led off from one of the main ones that we were on. It wasn't deserted, but it was also traveled much less than the main thoroughfare. It turned out to be an old pipeline of some sort, but that part's irrelevant. Well, we ducked and weaved a mile or so back climbing over fallen trees and we eventually made our way into this luscious green area the vegetation made it quite dark and it was shaded because it was probably only 8 or 9 a.m and upon our return i heard a strange sound ahead of us off trail a few feet behind a thick tangle of brush i immediately paused and motioned for sarah to stop behind me it was quiet for a few seconds before we began discussing what it was that I thought I heard. Then, before I could fully describe the low growl that startled me, I heard it again, in the same place. Only we had now walked up to that point, putting whatever it was making the sound maybe six to ten feet away from me, yet still obscured by thick vines. Now I ushered Sarah ahead of me and backed away from the spot, There were signs warning of mountain lions and bears all over the place. So I assumed, and still assume, that one of those was behind the menacing noise. But I never did see anything. We moved out of there pretty quickly. But here's where things get weird. Before we could make it back to the main part of the trail, an older lady with a dog on a very short leash nearly overtook us. She was coming from the direction we just left from. She was chatting loudly on her cell phone. Now where she appeared from, we do not know. The trail was very narrow. It was more of a game trail than a hiking trail. And it was cutting across a steep slope. It was near vertical to your right going up and near vertical to your left going down. So she certainly wasn't off trail. So I don't know. Maybe it was her dog behind those vines growling. But that's not what it sounded like to me. So I get it, caller. 
Those strange sounds are so hard to explain. But thank you for taking the time to call in and explain what you heard. And thank you, listener, for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a good night.